<laughs> All right, welcome back to Detroit is Different podcast. And right now in the studios with somebody that's uh, active sitting council member in the city of Detroit. One of the first people that supported what I was doing back when I was doing my follow leader hip hop leadership high school seminar and conference. I met him on the campaign trail. I was like, yo, I'm working on this. And he was like, all right, young brother, I'm going to, uh, you know, when I get in office, I'm going to help. And then, you know, you usually are used to hearing that and you think like, oh, Oh, and he gets in office, will he? And then I, I text message him, hooked up with uh, Shani Pence, so shout out Shani, and, and they came and collectivized and supported the heck out of everything that I was doing and actually uh, were available on so many things uh, back when I was stomping the pavement in hip hop and he was fresh into the office and now uh, elder statesman, pro Tim, uh, James Tate, Council Member James Tate, how you doing today? I'm doing well, my brother. Thank you for having me. It's, yes, yes. It's been too long. It's been a minute. It's <laughs> been a minute. We we caught up because of the Community Town Hall series that we did in District 1 yes, uh, that I'm doing, Tell Us Detroit with Bridge Detroit, and uh, walking the district, just putting up the door hangers. I ran into a couple people from the School Craft Improvement Association, and the lady, I was like, hey, this is what's going on. You can tell your people. She was in a garden working, and she was Strong. like, you need to come to the meeting tomorrow. And I was like, tomorrow? She was like tomorrow and I was like all right I usually would say I got something else to do but in reality I mean what am I gonna do I want her to actually be engaged this was an active community group organization mm -hmm. and then comes you come in and it's like the first time and just I'm like man I ain't talk talk certainly since with COVID. You in a minute yeah certainly since COVID and, yeah. and so what was what was real cool about the location where you were mm -hmm. there used to be a dope house Wow. Right? It used to be a drug house, and the neighbors themselves were very frustrated about it. Mm -hmm. They kept on making a whole lot of noise, making a lot of noise, making a lot of noise, making a lot of noise, and the home uh, got burned down. Hmm. It sat there for a minute. They're making a lot of noise, making a lot of noise, making a lot of noise. Finally, the city comes and we Demolishes. demolish it, right? Which mm -hmm. is good for the neighborhood. And they're like, yay, it matters. Mm -hmm. But they wanted to take it a step further than that, and they created a garden out there yeah. for the community. And, you know, you probably saw one of the gentlemen, I think you were gone by that time, but he was so mad because somebody had pulled up his onions. You Hilarious. Know? Yeah, but, but, but that's how the community now, that's the, that's the gathering space for the community. Mm -hmm. And it's symbolically, symbolically um, a beacon of what mm. that community means and what it can be moving forward. Still not what we want it to be. And the city, all we quote unquote did was remove the house, but they brought everything else to it. Yeah. You know it, what I'm saying? It was it was what you would it was interesting too, because it was a little bit intergenerational when we get into like homeowners, because yeah. that's that's the tone that I got from the group. So you saw like some younger, some younger families. Uh, so like people with like baby babies and then you saw some some people that where the babies is like my age, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Some grandparents in the group too. But all galvanized around this pocket it it, it was unique uh and, and just witnessing that community and even their response to you their response to the officer that was on hand was you know it, it wasn't it definitely wasn't a, a thing like you were the grand poobah of right. the event it was like you were there because you have to commute communicate with the people mm -hmm. Uh, and the people were there to to listen but also like the initiatives what they were planning how they expand you know, just getting more of that context is beautiful because it's similar to what I'm doing here on my corner with a lot of studio. Just, you know, how do we use, uh, as I told Piper, Kuji Chagalia, active Kwanzaa principles, self-determination, um, working in spaces and not necessarily rejecting outside support, but like not relying on the outside support sure. of what inside our community will help empower us. But, but, but even more so demanding 
those who are responsible to take care of a particular function mm -hmm. to do it. Yeah. Right? Because that neighborhood was not able to tear down that home. Mm. That yeah. that had to come from the city. The city had to, 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 to put forth some kind of process, whether we make the uh, property owner do it or the city does it ourselves. Mm -hmm. So once that took place, not a community was free to do what the community does, make it better. And so not only are they having meetings at that location, it's called Glendale Gardens for folks who are want to take a look at it. Um, uh, Schoolcraft Improvement Association is the community association over there. Uh, but they have jazz nights. They have movie <laughs> nights. So it's really, really transformed that community. It's right down the street from a school. Mm -hmm. I mean, so I, I think, you know, that is a perfect example of, you know, the spirit that neighbors have, neighborhoods have in Detroit, if they don't allow certain things to, to, to dampen their spirit, right? And the president mm -hmm. of that association had been president for 12 years. Wow. So this brother was like, I'm tired of me. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I need, he had to force somebody else <laughs> to take leadership. One, because he was very good at it, right? That's uh -huh. one. You got somebody who's, you know, um, has the fire, and you have somebody who uh, has the, the energy and the wherewithal to pull people together. They start out had, like, when he took it over, they had maybe, like, 10, 12 people who would show up. I've been to meetings. They had 100 or so folks who would wow. be at these meetings. Wow. So that's, again, a dynamism. But in many of these community associations, the black clubs who are holding up our neighborhoods, you have that same scenario. Yeah been president or the leader of the block for 12 years, 20 years, they may pass on. Or maybe health will put them in a position where they can't take that mantle of leadership or keep that mantle of leadership and need to pass the baton. You don't have a lot of people raising their hand and say, ooh, 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 I want to do it, I want to do it, I want to do it. As, as much as we've seen in some communities, younger folks taking that baton, mm -hmm. we need to see a lot more of it. And it's not so, and, when, and, and, and notice, I didn't say anything about politics. Yeah. I'm talking about the place community. where you lay your head. Yeah, we talk community. Is. And, and as we talk community, that, that the classic Detroit is a different question. Mm. Your your Detroit roots. What led you, your family, here to the city of Detroit? So my family came uh like Great Migration, like okay. others from uh Alabama. Whereabouts Alabama? My father from Montgomery. Okay. Mother from Birmingham. Wow. Yep. So yep. acres in Alabama. Yeah. So you're not like a lot of uh, some other guests that have been on here from Alabama. They like from a small town with about 400 people. It's no, like... <laughs> no, no, no. We, from, from the big towns, they you know. But city we, folk. But I tell you, when I go down there, it does seem sometimes very mm -hmm. different. Okay. Especially when you look at um, the, 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 the lack of black leadership. You're starting to see it more now. Mm-hmm. But and, and then just hearing the apathy, you know, down south is still down south. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I remember what's so funny is and this is how crazy this is how crazy our world is right now. And I'll say our country. Mm -hmm. I remember a number of years ago. This was before the uh, 2016 election. Yeah. And uh, we're going down to visiting my grandmother. Um, we surprised her. And there were a lot of Trump commercials on the air. Trump commercials <laughs> on the air. And I'm like, what? I mean, everybody's falling over themselves. I mean, yeah. you don't see this. I mean, even when Barack Obama, the great Barack Obama, was mm -hmm. running for office, you didn't see people falling over themselves. Nah, he he, he, had, he had Donald Trump created like a cult like following. Yeah. Like even even to this day, like uh, in certain places in Michigan, you'll still see like like maybe I want to say five foot by twelve foot banners, flags, or or, or of, of Trump, his actual T -R -U -M -P, self, or, or yes, or the make <laughs> him with a Make America Great Again yeah. hat, like hit his whole um, 
his call to action in, in the political strategy that I'm, you know, I, I study marketing. I mean, mm-hmm. that's my thing. So I'm, I'm looking at hearts and minds and how people are influenced. Uh, he was key on reaching a certain emotional response of like basically like a us against the world type thing. And we need to bring it back to where we were in control and we knew how to control things best, which actually most people don't even know. I think the, the science of this, the make a great, make America great again campaign slogan is actually from a Ronald Reagan ad yes, from back in the day yes, sir. from one of the most liberal artistic thinkers that said, you know, how things will work. And this commercial, even with Ronald Reagan was so poignant because at the time this was the, uh, this was his uh, re-election campaign, but he wasn't even in the commercial. They use specific, they oh. use like narrative voiceover wow. to talk about, quote unquote, this idea of great Americana and what could happen. And then at the end, it was like, vote Reagan. I want to say that was 84. Mm. Yeah. You, mm. you know what I'm but saying? But it's tapping into the anger too, though. I mean, that, that's that's Hearts key. and minds, yeah. I, but, but, you know, it, it was, I was so shocked when I saw how bold and blatant, you know, in my opinion, it was, you know, a lot of racist language that had been yeah. used, a lot of misogynistic language that was mm-hmm. being um, uh, pushed out by his campaign and his people. Yeah. And I came home thinking there would be no way Michigan would be like that. I know we're not going to see him. Oh, and then you, you drove back up 75 and started seeing like, oh, man. Two months later, <laughs> man, airways flooded. Yeah. You know? It's just amazing. I mean, it just. Yeah. So 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 I say all that to say, you know, I'm, I'm we come from roots in Alabama. Um, I don't spend a lot of time down there. Okay. Um, I mean, right now you got a full plate. So. Well, I mean, no, it's not just that. I think I, my family goes through, uh, is going through and has been going through the same situation that many black folks uh, in Michigan, I, I don't have strong roots mm-hmm. to my past, you know? Mm. So in addition to my parents coming from Alabama, I tell this all the time to folks about, you know, why it's important to have conversations with your family. So so, so my, when you say your parents come from Alabama, your parents were the first, like your mother and father were the ones that made their way here, not your grandparents. No, well, my, my mother came with... My, my my grandmother and her okay. siblings. Okay. But my father came by himself. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He was seven years older than her, but he was courting her down in Alabama. He actually <laughs> came first. He actually came first, um, and he was friends with my aunt's husband, not okay. my uncle. Okay. Right? Um, and so when he came with my uncle, uh-huh. Made a life for themselves here, kind of got yep. the nest, you and know, he, ready. And, and, and he, he was writing letters out. to your mom, like, that's you it. need to come to Detroit. That's, that's, how, it. that's how they pronounce it in Alabama. That's you it. need to come D down to there. Detroit. Yes, sir. <laughs> Here's some. I had yep. a Verner's today. <laughs> Doc, I found out my mother lived in Connecticut for four years of her life. Hmm. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. And that was just a couple of years ago. I found this out now. I'm mm-hmm. 47. Yep. Me and my, my my mother, my father. I mean, I'm blessed that they're still together, good health. Mm-hmm. You know, relatively speaking, as you know, we age. Yeah. But found out just a few years ago that she lived four years of her life in Connecticut, and I still don't exactly know like what, what led them there, right? Yeah, yeah. But we don't talk about those things, yeah. right? We don't talk about past. It's yeah. kind of like just assumed, and we kind of leave out details, whether they're important or not. It's still creates who you are in a, in a context of it yeah because you know and, and for for black folks that don't know 
like Hartford, Connecticut has a lot of black folks. It's some black folks in Connecticut because sometimes mm-hmm. in Detroit you think that, you know, we can get in pictures where it's like, okay, black people are in Philly, Chicago, New Orleans, Mississippi. You know, like you you don't think part of that Northeast America outside of New York, maybe Philly and Boston, it's like black folks in other places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's some it's some it'll surprise you. You know what Very I'm saying? Much so. It'll surprise you sometimes, you know. So within this story uh, of getting here, what neighborhood? What neighborhood did your dad move into? Like, uh, where did they settle? So they moved my, so I started first with my, with my mother. And they mm-hmm. still actually, the family still has the house, the home. My grandmother passed a number of years ago, but they mm-hmm. kept the house in the family. It's a little challenge the neighborhood is, I must yeah. say. But um, uh, on Omira off of Seven Mile, which is by uh, I-75. Okay. Yep, that's where I spent many, many nights, you know, head to, head to foot with my cousins <laughs> at grandma's house. Mm-hmm. Um, you're the second. You're the second person from bringing up that. Like, uh, what's funny is people always say the Dot and Edda neighborhood, sort of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's 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 it. You know, but we knew everybody in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, with no problem. My father, I think he was on. I believe he told me Philadelphia Street. One of the one of the streets named after uh, another town or okay, something. Okay. Yeah, but he, he didn't stay there that long. He didn't, again, didn't really talk about it. You mm-hmm. know, it's kind of like here, but. Uh, purchased the home that my parents moved in uh, on Asbury Park. Okay. Off of, in that same neighborhood yeah. where we were at. Okay. Right, with Schoolcraft Improvement Association. Yeah, is. I was going to say, so like right in District 1, Steve. I've been living there my entire life. And so we wow. kept the house, uh-huh. and now uh, my parents are still renting it. And you know, it's, it's one of those things. We want to keep it in the in the family. Hmm. When we talk about generational wealth, it's not a huge home. It's you know, technically a starter home. But it's a starter home that if you take care of it, it doesn't have to just be starter. It could be a home that you can can live in for a number of years. And we had renters there. I lived there with my wife for a okay. period of time uh, after, um, uh, well, prior to and, and while we were married. Uh, my sister lived in the home. My mm-hmm. sister now moved out, has her own place, and we're in the process. My, my parents are in process of uh, renting it out to somebody else. And that's that's beautiful that you talk about family assets. As I'm in my grandmother's house and grandfather's house. Uh, and this is a family asset that I've repurposed. But having those family assets, especially when we think of uh, the safety and security of a home, can become uh, it, it, it just becomes so, so much more advantageous yeah. um, that can provide that space, some of that leeway for, as you said, like your wife, your sister. Like at that time, you know, as I'm thinking about renovating more and more as I hear about rents going up. My 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 flat upstairs too to activate because it's like I maybe need to start preparing myself for what family happens because I'm sure that story of like we hear it you know when you talked about your your father coming here with his homeboy that ends up becoming your uncle like you know th- this house when my grandfather purchased this he rented out the basement to a- another fellow soldier mm. you know and that was part of like you know uh, my grandfather moving but it was. Uh, it was three children, uh, a, a, a husband, a wife, and then sometimes other cousins rotating. Mm-hmm. You know, we hear these stories, and it's like, mm-hmm. one second, so it was seven y'all, and they made it work. Mm-hmm. Were they originally from the South? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Actually, um, Florida and a little bit of Alabama as okay. well. So, like, it's some Georgia. You know, it's it's those lines, and you, you come from those straight Detroit lines, as we say. The migration follows those railroad patterns. Mm-hmm. So, you got a lot of Alabama in, in Detroit. 
You got up. And a whole lot of GM in my family, too. Okay. Because <laughs> that's what led them here. Yep. Okay, so General Motors was where? General Motors and Ford. So my uncle, okay. Ford, uh-huh. my father, GM. Or as we say it, Fords. Fords. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where, that's what it was. So, it, and then in District 1, that's a, that's a unique neighborhood to be young because it's rare I hear some of those stories being young in that neighborhood. Um, especially in your arc of stories. So you were like, because uh, that's a, that's a neighborhood even to this day where like, I guess all neighborhoods are for families, but like a family destination yeah, it's, it's, neighborhood, especially when I think back in like the, the, the stories I hear about the, the 70s, the 80s, mm-hmm. and even the 90s, you mm-hmm. know. I, it definitely families. Um, I, I I make no apologies of it, I, but I know what my responsibility is as a result of it. I lived and grew up in a very middle-class family, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the nuclear family, if you will. Mother yeah. and father in the household. We were blessed to not have any abuse, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's substance, verbal, physical, none of that. Parents didn't, uh, you know, uh, weren't locked up, anything like that. So, I mean, I know how blessed I so, was growing up, right? Both parents mm-hmm. uh, employed. You mm-hmm. know, we had roof over the head, food in the belly, didn't need anything, wanted a lot of stuff, but didn't didn't need anything, right? Mm-hmm. So I was able to go out at uh, 16 years of age, first job working at Kroger, uh, was able to save up my little money and bought my Pontiac 6000, right? Okay. It, was, it, was, it was a lemon, but it was mine, right? Okay. Um, but there's a lot of folks who can't do that, mm-hmm. you know, went to school. My folks helped me pay for um, my tuition at Wayne State University. They weren't rich. My father worked four jobs, three jobs at one time. Mm. My mother, she uh, changed professions, was working at uh, Henry Ford Hospital hmm. uh, in the EKG unit. I remember going mm-hmm. up there, uh, checking her out uh, and, and her coworkers. And then she s- switched and went to start teaching. Wow. What, what, did she, uh, what did she teach? English. Okay. English. Yep. Seventh oh, grade, eighth grade, English. So is it, has she been like a, um, what do we say, like a person that reviews and, 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 and checks both your writings, I'm guessing, both your life? Have you had the inside track on that? Mama, is, mom, mama was the... Proofreader. She, she was the Easter speech uh, <laughs> coordinator, and I'm her son, which meant that I had uh-huh. the longest Easter speech, right? <laughs> it was that kind of situation. Um, but now she's gotten a little older and now have grandkids, um, she's the... The, the teacher still. Hmm. So all of the kids, my sister, so my, my wife and I, we don't have any children. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm the, the best uncle ever, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, but my, my sisters, they have children. And my mother, she will take them and take them for the weekend, and they go through a crash course of fill in the blank, you know, and she'll have some coursework for them. Oh, uh, man. After school, she'll wow. throw some more coursework at them. But she also love them. And so it's not just, you know, mm-hmm. um, with a, uh, the, the, the principal with a ruler ready mm-hmm. for you to make a mistake. It's about learning, you know, yeah. and that's something that she constantly pushes within uh, our family, learning, knowledge, learning, so, knowledge. So being an English teacher, this just naturally leads me to, like, um, I'm guessing she was collecting books a lot when you were a kid. Um, Not really. I mean, not so really? so she may have, but I, she, she didn't necessarily push a lot of that. It was more about, so, all right. Now you get me to tell me the whole story about James Tate, right? So the whole story about James Tate is um, from the time I was in kindergarten to the time I I graduated high school, I was either kicked out, put back, or transferred Mm. eight times. Mm. 
So I kept them busy. <laughs> right? I could imagine. I kept them very busy. And and, and it, it wasn't – I. And again, that's that's part of the reason why I say that I'm so blessed and I have this responsibility because they could have taken their hands off of me at any point in time out of frustration. Or they could have yeah. put their hands on me yeah. at any time in frustration. But they knew the touch. They knew the right touch that I needed to be where I am today, right? Um, I know that time after time after time I was disappointing them, mm-hmm. right? Getting kicked out is not fun. You yeah. know, for me it is, but for them, right? Um being put back, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's not good. That was one year that I was actually put back because my mother said, you're not going to the next grade. Wow. I'm going to put you back. Wow. Thankfully, she allowed me to change schools, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So I don't yeah. have to get that every day because she yeah. didn't want that kind of trauma that on me. Embarrassment, yeah. Right, you know what I mean? But it was like, mm-hmm. no, you've got to learn. I remember uh, I played on the Broncos, Detroit Broncos, Pal League. Oh, man. good, man. Mm-hmm. But my grades was jacked up. My mother mm-hmm. was like, nope. Coaches were begging. Mm-hmm. Come on, let the boy play. Let the boy play. We're gonna get him up. We're gonna get him ready. No, it's it's chicken before the, it's, it's the egg before the chicken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's got to do his grades first. Get them grades right. Then it's a privilege to come play football. Cause it, you know, how many professional athlete football uh, uh, players are there that go through the draft and actually get placed on the team every year? Yeah, small, small, small amount compared to those Very, who start yeah. out. In Pal League or Little League as mm-hmm. kids, right? So she didn't have any idea of me being a football player growing up. I didn't think about being a football player. So grades were first. Grades okay. were first. Um, I remember I, I liked karate when mm-hmm. I was a kid. Let me play. Let me uh, practice karate. Same thing. Get them grades right. Don't get the grades right. No karate. Most kids would have probably got them grades right. Not this guy right here, right? I, I, I still, like, even, and I just wrote, like, a lot of people were thanking me and everything about my master's degree journey. Um, and and I I still really do feel that, me personally, this is just a Kari Frazier opinion, that school was the first place where I felt kind of bottled up. Because mm. outside of school, I felt like, the possibilities were endless at home or playing with my friends. School was like the first place where I kind of was forced to like conform to like this system that seems so foreign. And even with like my nephew, uh, Solomon, um, younger, like 10, I think the, you know, Jawaza Dr. Jawaza Kenjufu speaks a lot about this. Uh, the, the learning scope of a black male, you know, um, we're different like so it's like certain things that you know you'll be with a group of you know 10 black boys that are like seven or eight years old you may have to do a push-up contest before you can be like let's get to math and i know this is seems very odd Mm -hmm. but it's other energies it's other questions it's it's other just things spinning around in our mind to just settle us i think before we can on board in this presentation like look at this sit down chill Mm -hmm. and you're gonna go through it i think a lot of people were kind of learned that through COVID 19 and in as much as it was like online school it still was really homeschooling for for parents to learn like man it's like you know what i'm saying it's a joke (laughs) from ronnie jordan it's like yeah my my son it's like i was watching my son doing homeschool and it's like he had to uh play with the um 
play with the transformer like he was like hitting a cigarette or something just to focus because like i think sometimes our minds at that young age like that black boy energy like even when i look at the kids down the street like playing basketball and what we used to do like we would you know we go from playing basketball then playing ba- baseball then playing i don't know football pick mm-hmm. them up mess them up you know that's my car uh two square like and we may do an arc of all these things maybe in like an hour and a half yeah not even really finish one game before yeah. we go to the next game because another kid walk up and it take our attention and it's like, oh, he the best person to play red light green light with, you know. So I, I, I think when it comes to black boys, something in that forum just just is different, and it, it's just a theory I got in my yeah. own opinion, you know. Yeah, I, I don't disagree at all. I mean, I, I tell you, man, I I, I probably have kept that because I don't like school. You know, mm-hmm. I've got my bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. I earned it from Wayne State, you know, and earned it from Wayne State University. Yeah, because I, I tell you, schooling was not fun at, at all, and I I ended up doing okay, you know, mm-hmm. later on in high school. Um, but similar to what you said, I, I learned more about who I was as an individual clearly outside of those walls of the of the schoolhouse. Um, but it took me a while to even just be comfortable in trying to figure out who I was. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like you're supposed to already know. Yeah. Like, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? Grow up? I don't know, right? But yeah. they ask you that at 5. They yeah. ask you that at 10. They ask you that at 15. Yeah. And so on and so forth. And you're like, dude, can I just get past this yeah, right like, I want to be, be He-Man. Yeah, like... right, right, right. <laughs> you know, but I get it because I, I think there's, a, again, like, like, like I said with my folks, it's a... You know, it's not an iron fist, but certainly not, you know, keep your hands off. So you got to still inspire, you know. Yeah. So I asked the question to a kid's five. Part of it is conversation, but part of it also is to see how we can expand your mind. Because if all you're talking about are the basketball, rapper, yeah. or a social media uh, yeah. personality, yeah, I get it. I'm not saying you can't do it, but what else is out there? What else intrigues you? What else do you like doing? You know what I'm saying? And so, oh, you like playing video games. Mm-hmm. You can be a video game designer if that's something that you like doing. Yeah. Or you can be the person who tests out video games, right? Yeah, or it's so many, like, artistry for me definitely was an onboarding point to all of this stuff. Mm. You know, like, if you would have told me at 19 that this is where I would be with what I was learning from, like, putting together rap shows then, I'd have been like, are you crazy? Especially with really? some of the things that I'm doing, just in the strength of like, I I, I never would have thought like, okay, first off, this is pre-podcast, so it's like, so people will be watching videos and stuff like this that you're doing inside uh, your grandma's bedroom, and you're gonna have uh, council members coming and talking to, them. like, it would have, it would have, I never would have thought that from that. It's like because I had like a a. Hmm. a a defined idea of what success was, but as much as this defined idea of what success was, it was more defined ideas of success imposed upon me, Mm. you know? And even the arc of who I looked at as successful, like a Jay-Z or a Nas, like if you would have told me the arc of Jay-Z's story would be where it's at now, I'd have been like, huh, what? You know what I'm saying? Like he's doing... He's doing he him and his wife are the are the leading spokes people for a Zell's diamond campaign. Right. Like, no, right. I thought he was, you know, the guy from Brooklyn that, you know what I'm saying, sold crack and took his crack knowledge into the business world. Like and and just not unpacking it to a level where 
I see things now. Like I, I it gives the context and the wisdom. So I definitely am strong on like using creativity. I think as a as a people, black folks, we have to tap into our creativity. And and creativity goes beyond the limits of like a canvas and art or making music or even this podcast. Like sometimes creativity is just figuring out, okay, you know, this is the problem we have. This is the solution that I'm told is the only solution. We don't have these resources. Mm -hmm. So since we don't have the resources for these solutions, let's reassess this problem to reassess what solutions we do have Mm -hmm. that are available. Mm -hmm. Hence, like, to me, what what happened with the Glendale Garden? This is the problem we have. <laughs> you know, technically, it's like, hey, you know, I, I don't know what they would think is the natural best solution. The city of Detroit's going to come in, tear everything down, arrest everybody, get rid of everybody. And they're going to raise our property values. And they're going to, you know, everybody, the mayor going to shake our hands and, and say, hey, you know what I'm saying? We are bad. You wanted to sell your house before. We're going to make sure that we give you some retribution on some mm-hmm. of the property value you lost for this eyesore being over here or whatever. No, that that right. that solution is probably a solution we can take and we can put it on the board. But we're going to say probably not feasible. They can probably meet us halfway. They meet us halfway. Then we can galvanize our own resources. We start a garden. The garden's going to come with different uh, different Things that will be called upon. We're going to have to need people to tend this garden. We're going to need seeds. We're going to have different posts. We're going to have to respect this garden. Now we're interacting with nature a little bit more at me for my garden boxes. Like, okay, we didn't even realize rabbits and, and, and uh, like, man, is that a, you know what I'm saying? People be like, is that a, is that a raccoon? <laughs> it's like raccoons over here. You don't even know. Mm-hmm. What's dealing? So now you're you're like, okay, now do we go outside with a BB gun and try to catch them all the time, or do we plant other seeds that are deterrents from right. some of the insects, some of the other things we don't want? Okay, the 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 squirrels and the raccoons hate this smell, so we're gonna plant some of this here. We so, love lavender, but they hate it, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? So I feel you. And use nature, exactly. But yeah. that's a different type of solution. Yeah. And that's where the creativity sparks. And I think tapping into that is always good. And just, you know, knowing when to marry yourself to an idea and then, you know, leave it for a second. I like what you say, like touch and go is is key. And as we talk about more of this touch and go, like I know more your art, you know, I I know you served in the force here, city of Detroit. What, What people don't know is I actually was not a sworn police officer. Sure. And, and I, and I, and I always make that, that, um, Designation, right? Distinction. Yeah, yeah, distinction. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you, bro. Mm-hmm. So I make that distinction because, you know, there's a different level of responsibility and expectation for somebody who's going into a firefight of guns, right? You got that right. Um, there's a different expectation for somebody who is responsible for interacting with just general citizens and having to know when this becomes a volatile situation, how to know when you're creating a volatile situation and how do you know when you are de-escalating a volatile situation that's that's a huge responsibility i never never want to uh disrespect anybody who has that role mm-hmm. because as we we uh have this high expectation for them we also have to understand that these are still people and that's <laughs> always you know being a black man that's always been the the push and pull of it mm-hmm. Because, like, on one end, and this goes back to societal, like, you know, um, 
the societal structure is we don't have the best uh, marketing campaign when it comes to being, you know, affable, loving and caring citizens. The face of crime, when I think of it, like even from like hearing uh, the tragedy of what just happened in Texas and seeing the governor of Texas say like, but what about Chicago? As much as he's saying Chicago, I know what he's dog whistling. You know what I'm saying? He's not saying Chicago. He's saying black men. As much as, you know, that's that's what that dog whistle is. So in in this societal structure, even within ourselves, like like we're in this machine, too. Um, but let, let me let me just say this though. So mm-hmm. I literally felt the same way. Mm. Remember, I wasn't a sworn police officer, so I'm mm-hmm. going into yeah a police precinct. Mm-hmm. So every day I would come into the the first precinct. So uh, again, let me back up just a little bit. So um, my background is radio, TV, film, communications, mm. right? So that's I, that's my degree from Wayne State, not politics. Mm-hmm. Um, when I look at my life in the past, similar to what you said, I never thought I would be in this position. In this, yeah. Especially this long in it, right? Yeah. Um, but my background, radio, TV, film—that uh, was what I got a degree in. But like many, I had a rap group, right? Okay. I was the producer, mm-hmm. put a little, couple of lyrics down there. Our name was the Aristocrats with okay. a Z on the end. Okay. <laughs> right? We're the Aristocrats. Okay. And um, the crew was called the Blue Bloods. I can't. I, I, I'm now. I'm really shocked. You know, I got so many rap questions for you because I'm surprised. I'm just not learning yeah, this about you. That's, but that's why. That's uh, why I love this because mm-hmm. it's more than just as I talked about earlier a caricature of a politician. We're mm-hmm. people. Yeah, human beings. Yeah. So um, and then with your age and your arc, it makes sense that you would be in the hip hop because yeah. that was the prevalent culture like at the time. It def- it helped define me. Yeah. Who I was. Remember, I said I was trying to find myself. Mm-hmm. I found myself in art. Mm-hmm. And I identify with these artists. And, and that eight years that you have, I, I, I'm kind of guilty of it because, like, me being 39, that eight years you have on me, even though I was a kid with, with my cousins that were babysitting me, and that's really what I love for hip-hop. Like, 88, 89, 90, like, those were eras where I think you saw such a eclectic blend of the black experience through hip-hop. For sure. You know what I'm saying? For sure. And that was beautiful for me for to be sure. able to be like, okay, here's Chuck D, here's KRS One, here's Luke, here's uh Chuck G or Humpty, here's LL Cool J, here is Eric NWA. Sermon, here's NWA, yep. here's you know, like I have this eclectic mix of you know, tribe called quest. Like these are different and even the difference between tribe and de la soul, like these yeah. are different perspectives of what a black man can be. It was just like the beauty of the of the collage of it to me mm-hmm. was amazing, mm-hmm. you know, and you were more in the mix of that. Whereas I'm like seeing, you know, from the people, why, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I'm getting it secondhand. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I mean, technically, I kind of got it secondhand as well, but I got it when it became a little bit more mature, you yeah. know, from the hip hop, a hip hit, which yeah. is cool. Yeah. Dre came along. <laughs> yeah. And changed, <laughs> and changed the perspective totally, of, of right? it. You know? It became much more commercial. Definitely. You know. But and and now is extremely commercial. I'd say it's it the is. prevalent pop culture in the world yes, right sir. now. You know. Yes, sir. Uh shout out to Kari Turner and Miss Corona that just they left the tour in India mm. where they were engaging with 
students in India that, you know what I'm saying, about hip-hop. And it's like, wow, this is, you know what I'm saying, talk about, like, what you never thought you think. I'm sure next time I talk to Kari Turner, it's like, if I ask 20-year-old Kari Turner, do you think that, you know what I'm saying, like, you know, in your 40s, you're going to be in, you know what I'm saying, India, kicking rhymes and freestyling with kids from India. You know what I'm saying? Like That may or may, that very well may know your lyrics. Yes. (laughs) Right? That's the weird thing about it. Yes, like in a freestyle cipher with them. So mm-hmm. so the aristocrats, like, and you learn a lot in, in rap organizing, as I'm definitely biased to this, because it, it's, it's like it's a business, but it's less formalized, but just with a lot of young folks. Because, like, you got to get shows. You got to come up with some idea to engage people. Let, let me stop you right lot. there. We didn't get that far. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. We didn't get that far. <laughs> okay. So that was just kind of you were just having fun. Well, no, and, the goal was you know, to get that far, okay. but, you know— it, it, it's only it's only room for so many. The right? capacity, especially yeah. at that moment. Yeah, and then, you know, I'm not gonna say we were a phenomenal group. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like everybody else. Yeah. You, you try it out and you try to get better. And I listen. I still actually have some of the recordings, man. And okay. I, I look. I listen to some of them, and depending on what era it was, mm-hmm. we kind of mimicked that. Yeah, uh, what was going on? Yeah, you know, we when Bone came out, you okay. know, we started doing a little sing Singing song kind stuff. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, had a little little chant like the Bone had. Mm-hmm. Um. Then when Dre and they did, we tried a little bit of that. Yeah. And so what's funny is, I mean, and and that's that's kind of what I did, like trial and error, just kind of figured out who I was. Mm. So uh, going back to Wayne State Radio TV Film, uh, I had two short films that I, I I wrote, directed, and acted in. Right. Wow. What what were uh, what were they about? So one of them was called That Thing, and it mm. was shortly after Friday. Mm-hmm. And again, emulating the culture, mm-hmm. it was a day that two brothers, two you know homeboys, mm-hmm. go through their day, mm-hmm. and there was some violence that was involved in it, but it really wasn't the end. Mm-hmm. It was uh, all a dream, you know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Woke up, oh, and that was the end of the movie. So that was one of them. It was cool. It was my, I got a chance to act with my homeboys. Mm-hmm. Um, Got a chance to really figure out how a, a, a script is written. Because, I mean, this is still going through official process. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Jackie Byer, shout out to her, my uh, instructor there at Wayne State. Um, and then the other one, I can't remember the name of it, but it was it was uh, following the trajectory of a young man who uh, battled alcoholism. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, Again, got a chance to act with my family. Brought them in. Um, mm-hmm. It was just real cool, man. I, I, they're they're not masterpieces by any means. That's funny, you know, and I still have one of them. But the 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 beauty even of that is like when we talk creativity. My sister's gonna start shooting a movie the thirteenth. Mm. Uh, it's, it's called Catfish Christmas, and she has a location in um, Sherwood Forest and other places and stuff. But she's been doing these types of creative projects most her life too. Like you learn on the go and really with film and like in most of these projects, like it's a lot of project management, bringing, bringing people on board, okaying a location, you know, getting another take out of a person, encouraging them, understanding the capacity of what the camera is. Uh, here's a classic one. Des Cortez was here last night with uh, Josh Adams and classic actor. You know, he just won the, uh, the first of the Detroit film awards. He just won best actor of the year. But, wow. um, but even continuity, 
Yeah, yeah. You know, so Turn continuity. So, you know, yeah. yeah. So, like, yeah, if you have a conversation <laughs> and you have different camera angles, you can't, like what he just said, you can't have me turn this way. <laughs> In one scene, and then it jump cuts in the edit. Now I'm turning that way because it'll mess with people's brain, minds. Yeah, but yeah. my my radio my radio TV project with Northwestern, we really messed up the continuity. It was because we shot one thing where a guy was wearing a hat and like <laughs> walking down the hallway, and then, then we finished it. Yeah, because with uh, with the actress we had, when she was ready the next day, so now he's talking without the hat on, and my teacher's like, "Kari, what are you doing?" I was like, "Hey, we gonna say that that's movie magic." But you learn some of the organization, capacity, what's needed. Uh, You know, for me, at least, like, I think with these creative projects and then the number one thing, as you said, dream It's interesting. It's you're onboarding people to a vision in your mind to become a vision in theirs Mm -hmm. and collectively do something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and that's what I still want to do. I mean, and that's kind of how I look at what I do today. And as a as an elected official, especially one. In today's society, there's expectations, yeah. right? I always talk about these expectations. I don't, I don't feel that you should lower yourself to an expectation, but you also can't divorce yourself completely from it, especially when you're in the people business. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have a responsibility to um, reflect the community that I represent, and I can push on some of those expectations, but at the end of the day, the reason why I was elected by this group of people is because they have expectations of me doing this, 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 and this. Maybe not the same. We don't necessarily agree on the pathway, but do they want you to help save, uh, keep people in their homes? Yes. Okay. So I, there's an expectation. Now, how we get there, that doesn't mean I got to put it all on my back. And this is what I always tell them. I got, you know, with me, there's nine council members and a mayor. Each one of us has a role in each one of these fights that we have. So I, if, if I look at, just again, keeping people in their homes, I've got a colleague, she has been doing a tremendous job on legislation. That's the council president, Mary Sheffield. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the years, this has been her, 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 her passion uh, in, in, in legislation. That makes sense for me to go, okay, I know she's been working on it. Let me now Bigfoot her and show that I can do it. No, I'm going to partner with you. I'm going to work with you. Because what that does is, one, gives her the clear pathway on uh, ensuring that, you know, I'm the, I have that information. I have that, that institutional knowledge. I've been doing the homework, uh, and it's not a one-off. Um, mm-hmm. And she's built those relationships. I don't need to come in and try to mess any of that up. I'm coming in to support that. And so even, uh, as you probably uh, you know and many, I've been working on this issue of cannabis in the city of Detroit. Mm-hmm. I've been the main voice. It's very similar. My colleagues are like, why am I going to try to jump in and jump over? I can make suggestions, recommendations. We can have, you know, some, mm-hmm. some real true deliberation. But at the end of the day, it doesn't make sense to have four or five council members working, not work necessarily working on, but pushing, doing things differently on the same topic. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we have, I, I, you know, with this being a new council, we're still trying to figure out exactly how that works, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think we're going to find that it's going to be very similar um, where you have a council member that is very passionate about a particular idea. Other members say, go at it. Let me know how I can support. Uh, if it's going off the rails, I will come in and say something because, yeah. you know, what what's affecting you is one thing if it's just your district. But if it's citywide affecting all of us and this is legislation that's going to affect all of us, I got to say so. Um, 
And I don't want to wait until the end when you're asking me to vote. I need to be in this thing now. And that's what makes politics so unique. Mm-hmm. So, and I've said this before, and one of the most eloquent responses, even though it was a very simple one, was when uh, I did a forum with uh, Yusef Shakur, and it may have been back in like 2008 or something. And um, it was with Ken Cockrell Jr. And I asked him, I was like, one of the toughest things when you're in that seat in that position is you're advocating for a group of people where in a lot of ways, some of those expectations that are set are expectations even out of the scope of what you're supposed to do. Oh, yeah. So how do you execute something like that? And he looked at me, took a pause, and he said, it can be difficult. So it's a coupling of educating them on the capacity and then also trying to meet them with what they want, which till then it's like you step back and you don't know. So like for everybody watching, this is where I I really urge of you all to like look at some of those series of videos I did with Riverwise and even not that, even dig deeper, like understand the functionality of what a council member does, what a county commissioner does, what a state legislature does, what a you know state senator does, what our congressperson does, what the mayor does. Like some of these things are executive. Like this goes back to old school one on one stuff, executive branch, legislative branch, judicial branch. Um, I, I felt guilty of my mom because my mom from Central High School graduated 67. She had a local civics class. Everything I've learned about local politics, and I always tell this usually to most politicians, is kind of like, I don't want to say hearsay, but it's from, it's from, like, I'm patching it together, mm-hmm. you know? That's why it was so important for me to partner with Riverwise, and I'm glad we did it to release those videos, because now we have some type of, you know, static record of these roles and how things function, you know, the difference between a task force and a commission, like, you know, and, and, and what what that goes, you know what I'm saying? How this executive body moves forward, how city council can su- approve what happens through the executive body of, of where things go. Mm-hmm. Deciding this, uh, our, our, our municipal <clears throat> budget, like it's so many layers in what's going on. And then the other big hurdle in this is there are certain people that run for office. And they're ambitious. They're, they're people that are great in the community that want to take posts, sometimes legislative posts, especially. And they're speaking about doing executive actions. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like as a legislator, you have hella influence. But it's that it's influence. Yeah. But they speak and just in our minds of, of a, as, as a general pop populace. And now I'm getting on my media high chair of like it's all societal marketing and engagement it like we've been conditioned in america because marketing and and media presents things to us as we're consumers and everything is transactional so even when we think politics it becomes like almost like transactional of how our thought process because we have a, a, a subset of conditioning that has existed pre this election you know what i'm saying mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so like our thought process is he said he gonna get in office and he gonna bop if they're not an executive and even if you are an executive you still need to have legislative support 
It's like mm -hmm. how many uh, right now, I think one of those big challenges is when we look at our president and, and our president's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get rid of student loans. We remember those talking points. I'm sure those talking points had a whole lot more context to right, it. Right, right, that right. talking point gets ripped today, and then you have the I'm getting rid of student loans, and then you see a story like, well, we're looking at forgiving most of the, where 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 I'm gonna put something together to forgive ten thousand yeah. dollars worth of student loans for everyone that has that much money. Yeah, and and now it's like going through the political process, which can upset people because, like I say, we've been conditioned to think of everything like a transaction, like. We I give a vote and then tomorrow when you get in office you are gonna say hey flip it I told Make my man that he gonna you know what I'm saying they gonna put all new street lights up they gonna tear down these 55 houses over here in this neighborhood they gonna repave the sidewalks and they gonna repave the streets and they gonna put a community center over there so hey hook that up mm -hmm. but 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 I think that's where the 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 politician elected official the candidate has to be more savvy as well you 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 can't overpromise. You've got to learn and also understand what the job is, right? Uh, similar to what you, you, you mentioned, sometimes you have elected officials who or candidates who forget once you get in that position, you're now, you've crossed over. Mm -hmm. You can be an, you, you can have activist tendencies, but you're no longer an activist. Mm -hmm. And because if you're an activist and you are, uh, you go afoul of the charter or the law, that's just you. They're coming after you. If you're an activist elected official, they're not coming after you only. They're coming after the entire city, the municipality. So the city's being sued. So you're taking all that on in terms of your responsibility. And that's the hard part sometimes for those who are strictly activists, who definitely deserve, like anybody else, an opportunity to run for office, but also understanding that once you get in there, it's not just about rallying them up. It's not just about saying what I'm going to do. It's about really understanding how the process works. You can change it, right? If you don't like it, let's get in there and figure out how to change it. But understand what you're getting into. Yeah. Because the 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 it's it's bigger than you. <laughs> it's so much bigger than you. And there's so many moving parts. It can get frustrating, especially being black. But most this is just a Kari Frazier perspective, okay? But I think most institutions in America, like systemic white supremacy is through all these institutions. So that's like the political structure, that's the judicial structure, that's the corporate structure, that's the educational structure, that's the uh, media structure. Like, mm -hmm. like it's hard to get out of it because we're not the ones that designed it. If the design itself as like if, if Kari designs something, I'm designing something that's great for Kari. The further the design in this model of America was designed for uh, predominantly like middle-aged white men that own businesses and property. So the further, I usually say it, the further you get away from that, then the more is getting outside the design. Yeah. You can put water in your car for antifreeze yeah. and yeah. it'll go a little bit, yeah. but it's not going to last. Yeah. Now, with it, as things have reshaped and reformed, because it's like, do you want to revolt or do you want to reform? It's going to be a little bit of both. And, mm -hmm. and I do think that po pol political structures and relationships with people such as yourself and, and many others, it's, it's, it, it can be it. That's a key asset in what we can build in our community. But we need to understand the role of how that asset functions and not just think to ourselves that they're in office. So since they're in office, now I can just think about something else. You know, because no. I mean, the other piece to it is you got to hold us accountable. Yes. And holding us accountable is not just going on social media saying bad stuff 
holding us accountable is not just going to your, your people and saying bad stuff. Holding us accountable means engaging with us, finding out if we're open to that engagement, right? Uh, there's public forums. So I'll tell you, like, for, for city council and any legisl well, legislative body, certainly from a local level, you have to allow. So all of your meetings have to be public. Mm -hmm. There's no, quote, unquote, behind the scenes. So we'll talk, you know, but the decisions being made at the table. At every meeting, there's an opportunity for the public to voice whatever concern, suggestion, a recommendation that they have. Or, mm -hmm. you know, a compliment. We'll take those two. Yeah. <laughs> right? But you have that opportunity. So that's one, that's one bite at the apple. The other is every elected official has an email system, has a phone number. Reach out and call. Reach out and send that email. Hey, here's my. And, and then now what's your expectation? That you're going to either get a call back? or some communication back to you. If you fail on that, okay, most elected officials have liaisons in the community. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a, a, a community liaison. The mayor has community liaisons. Whether you talk about county commission, you name them, everybody, let's make sure that we interact with those individuals. If you're not holding up that end and you're just expecting the elected official to just do what you believe they know you want them to do, you're going to be disappointed. Because we may have yeah. the same, I always talk about this, we may have the same goal, but the pathway there looks different. And that's where, like, it can feel like a lack of transparency. Um, I mean, even coming down, like, like you know, you saw me recently. I, would, I visited, just to announce my Allotta Studio project and I, before council, I visited council, sat before the table, and I was like, man, I haven't been to the 13th floor up here in year, like it's been so long, yeah. um, and and I was think as I was sitting giving my presentation, I was thinking to myself like, this is a system, and that sometimes I think like, man, I'm not gonna get any support, but I'm like, all of the it, it's it's all acts that add to building up to something. It's definitely like, okay, I might have to pay for parking. I gotta go through this. I gotta go through that. It can be a headache. It's 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 Tuesday morning. Like usually I'm doing something Tuesday morning, to do, but. Right? But at the same time, you have to weigh the options of what can be executed and then just stay on top of this project. And, you know, it, it, the, the onus of like how much responsibility, you know, how much, you know, how much government do we want in our life? How much responsibility and onus comes on me as a resident and a citizen and taxpayer? How much of it does falls on the person that I elected? And that balancing act is still, I think that's a moving target usually. It very much so. Especially when that some of these other resident citizens are corporate resident citizens. Mm -hmm. They have more available resources, more influence to, to push agendas, uh, can, can, you know, move forward, you know, those same outreach campaigns that just go through neighborhoods where, you know, can can partner with uh, faith leaders, mm -hmm. um, social influencers, uh, other activists, and, and like they can galvanize things more than like, you know, a uh, man in the neighborhood by himself and in, in certain ways available resources that we honor as, as resources to, 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 to engage. You know, so that's also where I think the 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 knowing our strengths and weaknesses becomes heavy for us. True. You know, and, and then also just being ready to to have those critiques because it will come a time. The best time I think to talk to politicians is during campaign season, personally, 
because that's the that's going to be the most access you're going to get. I, so so I'll push back a little bit. So that that definitely is the mm-hmm. time that you want to bring the heat. Yeah. But but I always say politics, you know, if you're doing it the right way, it's not really politics, it's relationships. Hmm. So relationships with your community, relationships mm-hmm. with other folk who make decisions. That's what this is all about. Because once it just becomes politics, it becomes basically a game. It becomes like a, a, a chessboard, right? So now you're like trying to get over on this next person. But when you build relationships, and I say this to, to my community, right? Uh, and we've been fairly successful uh, in this connection, relationship. If I have a disagreement with, let's say, the mayor mm-hmm. on a particular issue, major disagreement, the mayor may look at the situation and go, okay, Tate's one council member. I'm going to look at the other eight members yep and i need my five a, i need five it's a numbers yeah. game right mm-hmm. and I, I may even have another council member who thinks the same way because they i may disagree with their but now you their need policy. to get your four right mm-hmm. i need to get them so so but but that helps but what helps me even more so so it doesn't become a political situation is if i can look behind me and i see the members of my community saying we got your back yeah we agree with you because now because you're, this is you're but see, this is where what you're speaking about is engaging, because I think like most most powerful actions will start in the community first. Then it will ripple through to political structures and corporate structures. That's but that's why I say, again, you can't just lay your hands off. Oh, I agree. I, I, in, in reality, <laughs> in reality, I think that movement needs to grow, yeah. which kind of brings us to you speaking and moving as, as we see just the nation is shifted on what happens with uh, marijuana use and recreational marijuana use. Yeah. Like, I think that Detroit is in a unique space. Uh, I sent you the interview that I did with my father. My father is very, um, you know, heck of a CPA. Uh, designs systems to be used specifically for parts manufacturing, which uniquely puts in in an advantageous position for marijuana accounting because marijuana accounting due to the the IRS code 1080E. If you guys watch that interview I did with my dad before, it's uh, marijuana accounting is taxable or all gross profits are taxable. So with gross profits being taxable from marijuana accounting from a federal level, what ends up happening is that we have back to like our societal lens of how we look at things. Our societal lens of how we look at business is cost accounting. So not to get too boring for most people, but cost accounting is basically like, okay, um, you know, we sold 100 sandwiches, uh, bread cost us $10, uh, meat cost us $10. So we really only made $80 profit. And that $80 profit is what we get taxed on. No. You'll get taxed on the full 100 because that's 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 gross income being accounted for. So some of these accounting systems, but unique about Detroit is we have a massive amount of land. There are outside investors buying some of these spaces and parcels of land. In my mind, not just growing marijuana, but growing many of things. Mm-hmm. You know, this is one of the few municipal places that has a hell of an asset of land and water, which in reality, both those assets have been maybe the biggest assets for humanity <laughs> since humanity has started. And Detroit has a, a, a big city municipal infrastructure and both these assets available in abundance mm-hmm. for many. You know, and I know my water warriors are like, but the water is this, this, this. 
I'm just speaking speaking specifically to that river that encompasses uh, the biggest freshwater uh, resource in the world. Okay, so I'm not getting into the treatment and in in the structure and all of that. I'm just speaking to just the the nature of it. The same way with the land, you know. So with this, it leads to a unique opportunity. For the community, because I really do think this will be the community engaged and how these parcels of land need to be activated for how we can grow some growing systems. As we know, the the uh, the asset uh, that marijuana just due to the recreational use, the health uses or whatever can be from growing it. Mm -hmm. So what does it look like? What does it look like processing, selling? How do we galvanize and and build co-ops? It can't happen politics will be involved in this but knowing that the community must first say this can be an asset here and what does that asset look like beyond you know a bunch of people just getting high because it's deeper than a bunch of people getting high right if this is shifting and it shifts the right way this can be a place that i think that can lead to a lot more empowerment for our community it absolutely can i mean but the 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 challenge that our community is seeing and others who try to um, infuse equity within this industry is that we're constantly fraught with litigation. Definitely. Um, I, we just released yesterday a press release and I you know, made myself available for whoever wanted to talk about it. Funny thing is I didn't have many who wanted to talk about it mm-hmm. um, in the, in the, in the uh, traditional media, but um, there was a ba- ballot referendum uh, mm-hmm. that was put forward that had uh, X amount of signatures that were required to actually put to get our the ordinance mm. on pause. Hmm. So literally the medical industry as well as the adult use industry would be put on pause until at least November. Mm-hmm. Until voters would be asked if uh, they want to repeal yeah. the ordinance. There's no replacement language, which means that city council would then have to go back and create replacement language in 2023. So now we're not talking about July when we are actually about to, you know, July, um, uh, August, when we're going to roll it out for the the remaining uh, license types, those limited licenses, dispensaries, micro businesses. They're talking about trying to slow down this industry to the point or stop it um, and, and take us into 2023. Mind you, they already sued us in 2021. So and put us on pause. Right? So 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 share. So share what what opportunity have you championed on behalf of many of uh, many of the businesses into the cannabis industry? What what have you done from the local level that empowers them to to have more access to actually function? So there's so there's like three different actually four groups. We've got to figure out how to satisfy within this Um, Mm -hmm. one. You have the. And, and I'm going to be very crude in, the, in, in, in how I explain it. You got your non-black um, medical marijuana owners. Mm-hmm. They have a uh, predominantly non-black and non-Detroit, let me just say that as well, um, have a predominantly uh, uh, a stronghold on the medical industry. We have not yet jumped off into adult use or recreational. We've, uh, let me take that back. We did uh, um, approve the first grow licenses for adult use. Um, but it's a very small number. Yeah. But the issue is you have a number of those adult, uh, excuse me, medical marijuana users that are non-black, non-Detroit. There's 74 licenses in the city of Detroit. About 10 of them are owned by uh, black folks. Yeah. 
Um, out of those 10, uh, eight of them are actual Detroiters. Hmm. And so that was, you know, medical marijuana industry. I, reg- I wrote the ordinance for it back in 2014, 15. As you know, we had emergency manager at that time. And um, equity and diversity wasn't th- the thing that it was, that it is today mm-hmm. for sure. And I'll just say, even from my perspective, I won't deal with, the, with, with marijuana. Yeah. And I didn't want to deal with it because of all these issues that we're still dealing with today. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's so hard to get over the threshold. You know, as an elected official, you want to, you know, will your way through. Yeah. Uh, I sign this ordinance, get my colleagues to approve. I get it, and it's done. That, Boom. Close that, the books on That transactional thinking. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. But here we are. Voters voted for recreational marijuana in the state of Michigan in 2018. Yeah. And here we are still in 2022 yet to open up a retail establishment, a.k.a. a dispensary. Not because we didn't approve an ordinance, but because we keep getting fights. Pushbacks. Yeah, mm-hmm. major pushback from um, those non-black, non-Detroit yeah. owners. Uh, and they're using every trick that they can. They're and, now suing it again and, and the I'm second gonna, time around. And I'm going to speak on another Kari Frazier opinion. D- this same thing, as I talked about, my dad's interview opened up on this. Like, mm. The, the the underground economy of of marijuana sales I think is ha, has been a um, has been an asset I believe for my community the same way that I, I likened it to the street numbers were assets and these street number businesses definitely like the 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 twenties through the sixties you know were were the lending options for most black businesses. You know, when we think about like Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know, he brought up my dad's from Cincinnati. So he brought up some of the businesses down there in Cincinnati and just even like certain neighborhoods here. Like most most of the black press, most black newspapers got their money because banks just don't lend to black people. Mm-hmm. So this was the lending. Same thing with some of the as they say, the weed man has been that or like a little stop and go gap that, you know, a uh, 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 a brother have, you know, an expecting wife and, you know, expecting, you know, expecting mother, you know, working manager at Burger King may sell a little bit here and there. And that little ends meet money meets him out of the way of, to me, what I think are more, quote unquote, serious, uh, serious street business, because that serious street business comes with another level of violence, danger, uh, uh, things I don't want in my community. Uh, so when I, when I look at what's happened right now with throughout the state and really the, the the country, it's definitely been people looking to suppress and corporatize this industry that has been just like what street numbers were, like something that functioned and, and, and influenced and 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 helped sustain. Mm-hmm. But now we want to take a lot of the we want to take. You know, maybe some people that are, you know, like what my dad has, a lot of just like corporate business lawyer people that are like, hey, I see this as available industry to make some money from. And then some people that maybe have been in the industry and transition into this. But now, hence community, we got to be back in the backing because the fight's coming to us. And that fight coming to us and ostracizing us is. It's going to be. This will be something you said it's been years. I think this is going to be some years in the making. Like we got to be ready for for going 12 rounds. Well, I mean, you know? so so we've been going we've, we've been going we're, we're about in round 7 now, round 5, right? Uh we're not yep. done yet, but we're still punching back. Mm-hmm. So, um the ballot referendum failed. Let me just say that. I'll just yeah. cut to the chase. It failed because they provided the uh, signatures 
uh, or submitted them uh, about 30 days too late. Yeah. Uh, so now we don't have that to deal with, but we still have a lawsuit that we have to like, you know, get a, out of the way. Um, and I can't talk about lawsuits, of course, because yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, government yeah, thing. Yeah. But um, we're very confident that um, we're going to be able to move past that one as well. But it just mm-hmm. again, every time we we put something in place, if those who have um, a number of resources, if you will, um, they are not pleased. They will do whatever it takes. Yeah. Um, to try to get the uh, their their way to influence, yeah. yeah, to influence what the victory for them is. Hence, as a community, which I think we, we this is where our strongest asset as a people, even social capital. Hence, stories like this and be, even being here is going to touch on some people. And I'm going to specifically take some portions of this, send it to some people I know. It's like, yo, this is some game. We need to support what Councilmember Tate is doing in reference to this because the more we can know that that social capital exists, I think that. It doesn't completely back off some of the some of the opposition, but it makes the opposition have to reassess a little bit more like, man, it's going to take even more resources. It's going to take more assets. This is going to be time consuming. Do we really want to take this fight or do we just want to look at the next city, which I don't necessarily want them in another black city per se. But at the same time, you know, it's it's solidifying the home for it. Yeah. I mean, so so the reality is. I, I will almost guarantee that a great number of folks who signed, because I didn't look at all of the petitions, but they're supposed to be Detroiters. Yeah. Uh, I did look at one or two sheets, and they had, you know, like any other petition, signatures that clearly weren't valid, you know, outside of the city of Detroit. But they provided a thousand more than they needed, so typically that's how you compensate yeah, for the, the options, ones. yeah. Yeah, but, but the issue is, they use Detroiters. And I think part <laughs> of that is back to like messaging and media, yeah. because I don't think the Detroiters, hence this discussion and more. And and I'm going to look to like so you all should know that that from this discussion moving forward, it's going to be a meeting of the minds. Possibly I talked to uh, Brian White that works with uh, Council Member Sheffield, Council President Sheffield. Um, and uh, and I also been talking to Ken Harris of uh, International Detroit Black Expo uh, and so many other things. Like, I mean, you know, Ken is doing National Business League, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of things. Like, I think it's some discussions, like, from that lens, and we need to package what this is because it's definitely a lot of elders, even in the conversation we saw in the community, that look at the marijuana industry and see it packaged from the same lens of what that dope house was. I think that's part of it, right? Mm-hmm. So here's the other pushback. Mm-hmm. The elders have seen their offspring go to jail. That's the other right? lens of, to me, of of both. So they've seen it, and they don't mm-hmm. want to see this. Any, they don't trust the system. Hey, that's it, and that's where the package. That's good for them, yeah, but not for us, because yeah. it always it always worked differently for us. Even mm-hmm. if it's, everybody got the green light, yeah, it's always different for us. So why would you go in there, yeah, and mess up your opportunity for this, this, this? For that? Yeah. Right? That's what I constantly hear over yeah. and over from my older old I, I but I'll I'll tell you this though, Kyrie. The, the the beautiful thing about these relationships I talk about is that it's not just about this issue today. It's about the long game. Mm-hmm. So there are many remember I told you I started this fight back in two thousand and fourteen. Yeah. With the medical. Um when you started talking about our elders Across the board, it was absolutely no. Yeah. So once I started having these conversations, you know, people, some some of your audience may not know, but I used to host and still do host every um, every month 
what's called a district one monthly meeting. I remember because Peace used to tell me about it. She, it was great. Peace man. used to tell me about that. She was like, hey, you remember I met Council Member Tate? He was over here at, uh, what was it, Coffee and Cream? The Java House. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Java House. I was yeah. like, for real? <laughs> but that's what those relationships do, mm-hmm. right? So you get a chance to ask the question, get a response. I get a chance to ask, so what do you guys think about this? Because I'm thinking about this legislation, right? So now they become my kitchen cabinet. Mm-hmm. This entire community who's willing to come out to a meeting uh, or two or three, whatever it is. But having them have those years of conversation and you talk about the potential benefits, whether Mm -hmm. we talk about, you know, again, depending on where you look, marijuana may not cause any issues. Marijuana may be beneficial. Marijuana may cause issues, right, depending on who you look. But at least you're getting more of an explanation of what could possibly happen physically to your body, right? Yeah. So that's one. Then you look at the the, the the possible economic benefits for your community. You don't just let them come in. They got to yeah. create a deal with you. Otherwise, you all galvanize and say, no, we don't want you in our neighborhood. Community benefits ordinances. Yeah. And agreements. That I mm-hmm. put that in the ordinance, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now take it. Are you going to just say no? Or are you going to say, well, let's talk. And then you might say no. Mm-hmm. But once you have more information, you identify how it can work better for your community. Um, so we started to see that. And now I'm seeing some of these seniors who were initially against it actually asking me how to get a license. And, and, I, and that's what I think. What you just said there, mm-hmm. that's where Detroit is different. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to push. It's more than the olive branch on capturing some of those stories because yeah. I think we respond through people. And like, you know, maybe not even the voice of you or maybe not the voice of me, but a voice that now this senior can identify. Because when we seniors are very important in this electoral process because seniors are the ones that vote. usually. Solid. So so when they see the reflection of themselves in this, in the context of it, now it can shift some of the focus. So I would definitely be looking forward to talking about capturing some of those narratives, making them available, making it ready to be shared. And and, 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 and that story becomes um, poignant because, like you say, some of those fears are all it's, it's all justified, everything you said. But it lacks the context of where I think the society is moving. And the last thing I, I, I want to happen is um, really kind of how I feel about another Kari Frazier opinion, how I feel about, you know, uh, what happened with the casinos in the city of Detroit. And I feel that we, you know, especially now that gaming is pretty much gaming is national. You know what I'm saying? It's casinos in like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Almost every city. But being that Detroit was one of the cities that, um, had a casino here before most like I have family members and you probably did too coming from Cleveland Cincinnati and you know Indianapolis you know just to come to the casinos here at one point in time and I really do feel that some of what I know about that exchange it could have been more that the community got from the casinos being here Mm -hmm. in my opinion you know and that was before my time, ladies and gentlemen. I know, I know. That is that, <laughs> that's definitely before your time. Yeah. And this is a Kari opinion. You know, the lottery as well. Like, it could have been more given from the lottery, too. So if this will exist, you know, knowing that this will be here, you know, taking on the fight and knowing what are the terms in which we can uh, have a fair exchange mm-hmm. where it can be equitable. 
that can be empowering. And, and what are the terms? Because I, I think for growing, for processing, for the actual sales of it, it's, it's a lot of industries that are accompanied with it. You know, now, do I see it being like an exchange of like from the big three to the big green? No. But there will be many opportunities. And with these opportunities, it, it's, it's it can be advantages. And because a lot of this still does deal with with land and gardening and planting, it can lead to more greenscapes. Uh, it can lead to more other assets of like, all right, well, if you bring in the dirt i just bought 500 i just bought 500 dollars worth of uh oh, what is it like six and a half cubic yards worth of dirt mm. i think if the industry were here pumping like it, it should be that should be something available for any community that's ready to get started of like hey we want to get some garden boxes you should almost be like every block can get like i don't know 30 cubic yards worth of worth of topsoil and compost every year just on the house because we as a business, you know, this is the community we decided to partner with and that's what we do. Mm -hmm. Things like that can functionally happen. That can be a solution. Yeah. You know, um, and, and, and as you think about like even challenges like this, I, now I kind of want to go back to the personal, like mm -hmm. because you do take on this caricature, but just you in the personal space, like, how how in balancing this, you know what I'm saying? Um, how in balancing the new actions with the 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 with the the standing just things that people really want to reach out to their council member, and then just being a husband, just being a son, being just you know James Tate the individual. How are you balancing all of that with so much coming at you? There is no balance. <laughs> There's no balance. Um, I look forward at some point. Right now, it's full steam ahead. You know, um, work, work, work. You know, I am a husband, and I love on my wife as much as I can. And you know, that's the the one upside for us with COVID, if we can call it that, is that it, you know, definitely forced us to kind of get rid of bull. You know, that mm -hmm. was clouding our relationship at the time because you know when you're there with that person either it's gonna go one way or another right mm -hmm. and we actually it, it created a, a a stronger bond with us you know um but just in 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 general i go to the grocery store i get hit with hey counselor i got a quick question i know you i know you're shopping but i'm in a restaurant hey, i know you're eating but i'm riding my bike or walking my dog i know i, I know it's not the time you want to deal with but and so, again, when we start going back to those expectations, I can easily say, I'm protecting my time. Here's my card and keep it moving. Give me a call. Send me an email. But that's not how you build that relationship. you got to give that person their time. At least that's how I, that's how I view it, respectfully. Um, mm -hmm. Now, you know, of course, there is a way that you don't do it as well. You know, you, and, and I've had that too, folks who don't want to respect the space. Now, if I'm with my wife and we're at a dinner, I'll give you, you know, a couple of minutes, but at some point we got to wrap this up <laughs> because it's not my time; it's our time that you're now infringing upon. And so we're trying to do it a certain way. And some, you know, my wife is very, um, she's very accommodating because she's become, you know, it's part of her life as well. You know, again, this is year thirteen; it's my fourth term that I'm in right now. So over the time, it has become certainly a blessing that people feel that when they engage with me, they'll actually get a result. Because it could be the other way where, I'm not even wasting my time. 
because he, mm-hmm. he never does anything. Or they coming over, you didn't do this, you didn't do. I don't, I don't really get that. You know, mm-hmm. I get, hey, I need help. And if somebody's coming, reaching out for help, whether they have, you know, tried in the past. You know, some will say, I've called your office several times. Got no notes of it, right? Mm-hmm. I've sent you emails. Nope, it doesn't matter. But maybe they did. Maybe somebody in our office dropped the ball. Let's be real. You're now engaging the person who you believe that can solve a problem at your home or yeah. in your community. My role and responsibility is to figure out how to make that happen. I can't do it right then and there. But I need to take that back and 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 work with whoever I can to address that particular situation. So, and, and those things typically, and we, I think we talked about this earlier, those things usually are not responsibilities of the yeah. legislator. Yeah. It's and, the executive branch. And that and that's what makes it, get it also done. interesting. And, and, and I mean, even as we get closer to a close, that's where I think taking on this type of responsibility and being in the position you are, and like doing a lot of things in life, like, as much as you're in office, you're representative of the time of with your wife, your family, your friends, you, Make your a, personal self. Like that, that commitment in running yeah. includes a lot of you. They, they come and protest at your house now. Mm. It's off limits, man. That's mm. why I lay my head. My family lays their head. Mm-hmm. But again, do I go out and make a bigger commotion? Mm-hmm. Do I stand my ground and say, if you cross this line, I'm going to call them? Do I do that or do I let them do their thing, going about their business, grin and bear it, so to speak, wait mm-hmm. for the next one? Those mm-hmm. are things that elected officials, politicians got to think about. That's mm-hmm. the reality of how it in, 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 infringes upon your life. And, and just in sharing that space, because I think also along this way, because as people say, oh, they still in the game, like, that same constituency are the people put it's it's a group of people also pushing on the other end Mm -hmm. that see that champion you Mm -hmm. that see you know so many times people be like i wouldn't vote unless you do something and i'm like i'm not planning on running for nothing you know what i'm (laughs) saying (laughs) you be good though but thank you thank you I, i i do wonder like you know even in that capacity as like this this other this other group that's pushing like hey, this seat's opening up for Congress. Because I'm sure, I mean, so many people have, are, are now on this congressional ballot. Yeah. I'm sure whether you want to admit it or not, it was people all, on your phone saying, hey, man, you know, I think oh, you can. Oh, for sure. Uh, I think you can. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, every every election that comes around, there are folk who say, hey, man, um, you know, you've done pretty good in, in your district. I mean, I, I the last three elections I've won by at least 68%. So it was, you know, first election was, you know, I, I, you know, like everybody else, you get in there, right? So it was yeah. eleven. It was a hundred and thirty-eight people who ran that year, and it wasn't by district too. It that wasn't was by district. It was all at that large, was a, yeah, right? all which at makes large, it even yeah, more it like different. OMG because mm-hmm. big names jump out, former politicians yeah. jump out, but I eventually and and essentially ended up the seventh highest vote getter at that time. Yeah, right. So that was a blessing. But in the primary, I was in 11th place. So it was like, it wasn't I, guaranteed. I, I remember it because I, I, pulled, I pulled up the paper that day. And I, yeah. and I was probably like looking like you, you was probably doing it. I was like, man, take out in. I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was excited about it. You know. but, but after that, you know, I'm winning elections 68%, 72%. This last one, I'm, I got about 74% of the vote. So clearly... This is that relationship is working. That has been that right? has been built. Yeah. It's working. So what happens is you you know you have folks who are 
saying, okay, I don't like this congressperson or I don't like this state representative. We need somebody to unseat them. Tate does pretty good. He knows how the game is played. We need to go. Let's go talk to him. So I get the phone calls, but I am, uh, I have no, I've said this, I have no desire desire at all to Mm -hmm. go to Congress, Um, especially in this environment. Absolutely not. Um, I have no desire to go to the state politics. Again, Mm -hmm. especially in this environment, I like being on the ground here with my people in the city of Detroit. Um, As much as a challenge as it is to uh, know that uh, at any moment you can be touched (laughs) in a good way in the neighborhood, um, that means something. Because it's not me just sending an email to a staff member and asking them to work on it because I'm elsewhere. I'm physically, like yesterday, when those storms hit, I'm out there surveying the damage myself. I'm taking pictures, sending photos of the damage to the directors, saying, hey, um, just heads up. I don't know if you know about this, but here's, the, here, here's, here's a, a tree blocking the street in my district. Here's a house that fell into, I mean, excuse me, a tree that fell into a house. Um, I know we can't get all of this all together at one time because you know this is citywide but I'm just letting you know this is what I see and I'm going to follow up on it so I got some follow up calls I got to make today and mm-hmm. asking what the status is mind you by charter that's not my job my job yeah. is strictly to write laws and ordinances approve the and, budget, and, the budget yeah. and uh, approve contracts that's it mm-hmm. but if I don't build those relationships none of this matters I can. I mean, especially for somebody like me who really values the work, mm. not the position. The position is cool. Like, and and this is no slight to any of my colleagues because I understand the value of it. Right now, everybody's up in Mackinac. Mm-hmm. That ain't where I want to be. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I enjoy being down here. I, if I, you know, for me, I don't have any deals I need to make in Mackinac. I'm a I'm I'm a city council president pro tem. You mean tell me I got to go to Mackinac? To, to make a deal in Detroit about Detroit, that's crazy. But again, I'm not slamming anybody who does it because it's about networking, right? Yeah. Um, but I've been doing this now. This is my fourth term. I got to meet somebody in Mackinac that I haven't been able to meet in wow. Detroit for four terms. No, I don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. So y'all want me to go to Mackinac and spend all this money, the taxpayer's dollar, because, you know, I'm not spending my own dollars. This is out of my city budget. Spending all this money to go to Mackinac, when I can do, in my opinion, all this stuff here, or I can watch it, yeah, right. I can watch it via via um, uh, uh, a streaming or stream, right. Yeah. So to me, it's it's about understanding what fulfilling a certain expectation. I know you're expected to go to to, yeah. to Mackinac. It's one of the things, and I have been, and I'll probably go again. But it's not something that is a requirement for me, and I have to let you know make it clear that I also have expectations of me. Mm. And if I'm just following along just because, well, we're just expected to go there, no, mm-hmm. then I'm not doing my job. I'm not doing my job. So, I, you know, again, not I want it to be very clear. There is benefit for, for folks who go, some who go. Yeah. Uh, there is something that you can get out of it. Um, but for me at this point and stage in my career right now and, and at this moment today, um, I've got other priorities that I'm dealing with. I've got three of my staff members who have uh, found jobs, you know, yeah. thankfully elsewhere, uh, yeah. able to 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 pay them more, uh, new challenges, and I'm trying to fill in the gaps here. <laughs> I can't do that in Mackinac. Nah. I got to fill those gaps here. Yeah, there's events that's happening in the community right now. The storm, 
Yeah. Now, that's not to say that if I wasn't there surveying the damage that the stuff still wouldn't get done, but it makes me feel better. Yeah, the follow through and that touch, because, yeah, your presence does change. I mean, when when that elected official comes to that community meeting, walks in that church, uh, comes to that block club association uh, cookout or whatever, mm -hmm. like it changes the tonality of things because even your presence even strengthens if you being here is going to strengthen. I already know social capital going to strengthen. Detroit is different. So I'm going to get a lot of right. comments. I'm going to be like, oh, man, you like him? You don't like him? I'm right. like, I say, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, on a personal level, Tate's always been cool. Politically, it may be certain things I sometimes don't agree with, but at the same time, politically, because I disagree, I don't, I'm not in your seat to know the full context of all the stuff going on. And I'm sure just, you know, you, you'll you always explain, okay, well, I did it like this because da-da-da-da-da, which and then I'll give my rebuttal like, well, da-da-da-da. You know, we'll have that discourse. But, you know, your presence being an elected official adds social capital and strengthens everything else. So I do understand when people want to run to strengthen other things and efforts that they're connected to because it raises the mm -hmm. profile, the notoriety, the works of everything else that's going on. But with it, you still do have the responsibility of, as you say, the real job at hand, meaning like the legislative work and the, and, and the budget. And then you also have the understood work that we've taken on where it's not it's like it's not written, but it's written. If you're, you know, Kay Cunningham with the Detroit Pistons, you know, number one draft pick in, in America as much as look, bro, you supposed to play basketball. But it's like, nah, you're also going to be a face of the city of Detroit. Yeah. So you're going to wear some Cartier lenses. You're going to show up to some community events. It's like, yes, on paper, play basketball. Mm -hmm. But in reality, all this other stuff is what you're expected to do. Mm -hmm. And you all are like the star athletes of community in certain ways. We're you know? not as compensated as... <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. You know? and, it, and, and that's so funny. I actually took a, a pay cut mm. when I uh, left DPD mm. to run for to, to, as a council member. And, that, and I have been, again, this is year 13, I still mm. don't make what I made then. And I wasn't wow. being, I wasn't rich then. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's the other layer of it. And then, you know, when people, and, and that's a whole other thing, people will say, yeah, but you getting in on this oh, and all man. of that. But that's, that's going to be an argument. I, I think anytime a black person is in, in a position of influence, they, they got to be corrupt or they got to be backsliding to something like, I know, you know what I'm saying? Cause I, he walked in the room with my cousin and my cousin's shady, you know, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, damn, he, he didn't even know who he walked in the room with. Yeah. So as yeah. we get to a close classic Detroit is different questions. You answer your very first car year making model. Okay. So now I'm going to come up with another one. Uh, I'm going to come up with another one. Okay, here we go. Here's the classic one. I used to say, What's your most memorable Bell Isle story? Oh, <laughs> Bell Isle, it, it, the strand, you know, being out there just packed deep mm -hmm. and actually getting a parking spot. <laughs> <laughs> right? That, and you see somebody pulling out? Uh huh. Dope. Because <laughs> you okay. know now you're able to post up for about an hour, so you ain't got to keep going all around. <laughs> and you're in a hot spot. So being able to park on the strand. Biggest memory. Okay. Um, you are the DJ at the end of the fireworks. Mm. You get to play three songs. And you're at, I guess, uh, you're at Woodward and Jefferson. Oh, man. What three songs are you playing? Man. Wow. So I'll say first off, because I really love this song. Every time I hear it, it's old. Mm -hmm. And uh, probably not on a lot of folks' uh, 
playlist. <laughs> but uh, it's Can You Feel It by the Jacksons. Oh, Love man. The way that, that it just gets you pumping, right? That one. Um, that, that was older Michael. Older Michael, right? <laughs> With his brothers. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was that was Michael Jackson and everybody yeah. else. <laughs> yep, yep. Right, right. And them. Yeah. <laughs> and them. Um, man, you got me on these last two. That one come come to come to mind. Oh. I'm stumped, Doc. I'm stumped. Mm. Let me think. Let me let me let me think about that one. Okay. So while you think on that one, this okay. one may stump you too. If you had to rename what were after one Detroiter, who would it be and why? I would say. I mean, uh, renaming Woodward. Oh, man, there's so many cool people, good people. And it's so bad, but I cannot remember her name now. But she was the woman uh, who fought to have. We actually uh, created a secondary street name after her in the area. It's in uh, Midtown area. Man, I'm... I feel so bad because I can't remember her name or the location right now. It's all fuzzy. You got me on these. But I, okay. <laughs> um, okay. But, she, but what it was was at that time, um, she because the, the 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 building was owned by black people, it could not have an entryway on this particular street. Hmm. That's interesting. So it actually had an address that didn't match the building. Um actual address because the laws at the time the against city. ownership yeah, yeah. i mean it, it's still it actually is on the record it's funny we're dealing with a deed situation here mm. where some of those old deeds and laws just, just based on precedent it's like if you black you can't earn own properties but that makes sense well even in my own neighborhood we saw the, the uh, paperwork black folk couldn't live there yeah i was gonna say the deed yeah when you look yeah, at it it's, it's shocking to yeah. see it's like no negro or, or no yeah. colored <laughs> like yeah. damn this was in law for real <laughs> but to see how she fought that Hmm. Um, and was defiant to the point where this building still has a red door on it um, because it's symbolic of this door that could not be used uh, all those years. And I, I'm going to send this to you. I'm going to find I it. Want, this almost sounds like documentary worthy. I no, it to, is. I need it to is. find this Because I never knew about it, right? Uh-huh. And this is one of those perks of being on city council, being able mm-hmm. to learn about the history um, hopefully one day you know, I can recall it again. Yeah, yeah. But real talk, learning about the history of the city of Detroit that nobody will tell you. Okay. Um, so folks got together and put to uh, sent to us a uh, recommendation for a secondary street. It was a no-brainer after learning her story. Again, I, I can't remember her name right now, but I promise you I'm going to get your information. I will never forget it again. I got you. I, I, will, name, I will name Woodward after her. Well, I would. Um, I can't wait to share that and add that to the mix of this because that's going to be powerful. And, and then when this gets out, but uh, this was wonderful, uh, a heck of a discussion. I actually kept you longer, so I know you enjoyed it. But yeah. uh, thank you so much for coming to Detroit. Is different. How do people get in contact with you if they want to reach out? I'm sure I'm gonna put your email in the lower thirds. But what's the best way? Yeah, best way: uh, phone call, email, phone. Okay. Uh, you can reach out three one three three one three two two four one zero two seven. Uh, if nobody's there picking up the phone or maybe she's on another call, leave a voicemail. Don't just mm-hmm. call thinking we got call ID, we're going to call you back. Mm-hmm. Leave a voicemail because it's very, very, very important for us to be able to connect with you. And then the other is the email, 
uh, Council Member Tate at Detroit MI, as in Michigan, dot gov. Still working on my socials. I just uh, hired mm-hmm. a communication manager to help me with that because um, it's, you know, it's a lot trying to do your own social as an elected official. Um, I can imagine. And the emails. I mean, we get about 50 emails a day. So mm. have to go peer, you know, go through those, and uh, so still working on the on the socials. That's coming. She's doing to do a great job, but right now, email and the phone, best way to get in touch with me, and we definitely want to hear from you. Definitely. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, brother. Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories, never before told in any other media outlets. On Detroit is different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.